Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our text today comes from the third book of Daniel. And a little bit of context, since it picks up halfway through it, I just kind of tell you what's going on. Israel finds themselves once again in captivity. They are in Babylon. It is about the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And in that, he finds he sort of his ego gets the best of him and he decides to build this great big golden statue. And he decrees that everyone will bow down and worship this statue. When the trumpets sound, when the harps play, everyone is going to bow down and worship this statue. And of course, all of the people around him are like, that's great, that's awesome. Now, there's a small group of people over here that are like, "Uh uh-uh. Our God said there should be no other gods before us. And so what happens is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, leaders of this group of Jews, they were determined to hold fast to their commandments, hold fast to their commitment to God. And so what happens is the trumpets sound, everything happens, and the whole world in all of Babylon bows down to worship this golden statue with the exception of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the Jews that followed them. So what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar's sycophants, they go and tattle on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they say, you know, it was a great thing that you did and don't just kill the messenger, but you know those guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down. And so that's where our story picks up today. So as we look in chapter 13, or verse 13 of chapter 3, hear with me now the words of the Lord. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If you are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and to throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown in the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace." Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the furnace? And they said, certainly, your master. He said, look, I see four walking around the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And so they did. They came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, everyone crowded around and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair singed, nor their robes scorched, nor did they smell like fire. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship God of any sort except their own God. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we gather for worship and we think of these images of fiery furnaces and golden statues. We see the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Speak to us, O Lord, with these images. Speak to us stories of faith so that we might be transformed, leaving this place not merely as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Now there's a question that has probably vexed parents since the dawn of time, or at least the last three centuries. It's that parent when you tell how parents have to deal with some defiant, whining, unruly teenager who says, it's not fair, everyone else is doing it. And you know what that question is, right? Well, if everyone else jumped off the Empire State Building or the Golden Gate Bridge or the Grand Canyon, take your pick, would you do it too? There's that question that sort of hangs there, but similarly, there's another question that sort of was asked in the preach to the packed stadiums of tent revivals and crusades of the 20, late 20th and early 21st century. It was this question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If all your friends were jumping off the Empire State Building, would you, and if there was enough evidence of being a Christian, would you be convicted? These become the latitude and longitude of a fixed position wherein our life and practice of faith happens in the world around us. It's where the rubber meets the road, if you will. It's the exact spot where God calls for extraordinary things from ordinary people, from us. See, remember in our story today, this is what happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said they were not going to worship any god but their own god. And so they were told upon. And so where the story picks up, Nebuchadnezzar is in a blind rage. He's about to blow a gasket. He's so angry that not everyone would listen to his decree. Who would dare defy him? And so he calls them together, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, why would you defy me? And they say simply, we don't need to defend ourselves before you because our God is supreme. Our God is going to save us. And at that point, he loses his mind. He stokes the furnace seven times hotter than it's supposed to be. I mean, that's dangerous territory right there alone. And then he throws them in. And he thinks he's solved the problem. It's so hot that it says, the text says, it killed those that threw them in. 
And so he thinks he's solved the problem. He's made his point. And then he looks in the furnace. And where he threw in three, now he sees four individuals walking around just like it's just another hot day at Myrtle Beach. He's there. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And he begins to realize he is messing with something that is much larger than himself. That their faith is, surpasses anything he could imagine. And so he calls them out and he says, praise be to the God most high, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what those three have taught us is that what is right is not always popular, and what is popular is not always right. But they also challenge us to look at our own practice of faith. I mean, that place where the rubber meets the road, right outside the doors of the sanctuary, right outside the doors of our homes, wherever you are in worship today, where faith and life meet is right there outside the doors. It's a place where we are called as followers of the risen Christ to swim against the culture of our day. That the reality is that our faith gives us the freedom, no matter what trials we face, that our faith allows us to survive and surpass and to take on anything that comes our way. And that finally God is calling us to set an example of faithful living for the world to follow. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness and begins his ministry, it says he goes to the temple and he unrolled the scroll to the book of Isaiah. And here were the words that he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's called me to proclaim freedom for the captives and the recovering of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. In that one reading, sort of that was the way he started his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is telling the world that his ministry is going to be one that swims against the culture of his day, one that answers to a higher power, one that talks about a different way to live. And it's good news. It's good news to the poor, those who are socially poor. It's good news for those who are economically poor. It's great news for those who are spiritually poor. But there's also this good news for those that have been imprisoned by sin that they will be finally set free and reunited with God. His words are good news for those who have been blinded by the routine of life where they think that all there is is to rise, face the daily grind, go to bed and rinse and repeat every day. He says there's a whole better way of living. That's not living, that's just surviving. I want to teach you to live abundantly. I want you to thrive, have a new life in me. There's freedom for the oppressed, those that are looking for that new life in Christ. And so as followers of that risen Christ, as followers of the one who died on the cross and was raised from the dead, we are called to swim against the culture of our day. That doesn't mean that we're called to wall ourselves off from it or be away from it, but to swim against it, to rise above it, to not let the culture control our lives, but to let our lives influence the culture. We're called to speak out against the things that we see that are wrong, to advocate for the things that are right, to advocate for community versus selfish individualism, to advocate for contentment with the blessings that we already have and not to give into or pay homage to consumerism and materialism. We're called to speak about optimism and not fatalism, to be positive and not given to negativity, to practice kindness, 
versus indifference. To be inclusive versus divisive. See, that's swimming against the culture of our day to say, this is what really matters. These are the things that are important. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taught us that what is popular is not always right. So we must search our hearts. We must look to Jesus, the one that we follow, the one that said, I have come to give sight to the blind, good news to the poor, to set the captives free. We must look to Jesus, the way he lived, who he talked to, who he helped. That's the culture we want to build. That's the culture we want to speak to. That's what we are called to do. But in doing so, we realize that that may put us at odds with the world around us. And what we find is that our faith gives us freedom. It gives us freedom that no matter what trials we face, that we will be okay, that God is with us. One of the greatest pieces of advice I was ever given was to always tell the truth. If you tell the truth, you will never have to remember the lie. Now think about that with me. Always tell the truth. You will never have to remember the components of the law. See, there's freedom in telling the truth. They say the truth will set you free. And it's so true because if you're trying to perpetuate a lie, you have to remember it constantly. And guess what happens? Eventually, it's going to all fall apart like a house of cards. And then you suffer two types of pain. The pain for getting caught in the lie and the pain for lying itself. Not to mention all of the anxiety that we have had to churn up on trying to remember all the components, all the pieces. Prophet Joshua wrote these words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, there's freedom in this conviction. There's freedom in knowing exactly who it is that we serve and what God expects from us and how God expects us to live our lives. Because in that freedom, no matter what comes our way, we know that we are standing on the right side of life, the right side of history. And so if we said as our mantle that as for us and our houses that we will serve the Lord, then no matter what trials or tribulations we face, we know that we're going to be okay because the God that we serve will protect us. It's a God who will stand with us no matter what. A God that will deliver us from the fiery furnaces of peer pressure or rejection or personal slights, all because we know in our heart who it is that we serve. And so what we find in freedom like this is that there's this assurance that the God that we serve is with us every day and calls us to seek freedom for the world. And we call to faithfully live that way, to seek that freedom, then we are called to set the example for others. I mean, look at what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar when he realized that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to stand fast to what was right in their lives. Look at what happened to him. He threw them in the fire. He tried to punish them in the, the most grotesque way, and yet they survived. And so when he calls them out, he celebrates their story of faith. He celebrates their conviction. It's a, an example for us and for all the world to follow. My friends, if you doubt that the world is looking for something to follow. Spend five minutes, five minutes listening to who the influences are in social media or who people are following on the news and this. The world is looking for someone to follow, someone to set the example. Why can't it be us? There's no reason. 
As a matter of fact, the reason that we are called is that we are called to set that example, to swim against the culture, because the transformation, the example that we set leads to transformation. The world is looking for a way to improve, the way to be better, and we are those people. We are a church for everyone. And we know this, we're a church for everyone because we are in it. Every one of us is broken in some way. Each of us is imperfect in some way. Each one of us is trying to have a better relationship with God in some way each and every day. And each of us is doing our best at it and still knowing that there is more to do. But if we know that about ourselves and those that are gathered in worship today, then we know that there is still room in the sanctuary. There's room online for others to join us. There's room at the Lord's table for all of the world. So if we're going to be a church for everyone, then we must seek out everyone. We must make a conscious effort in our daily lives by setting the example to speak to everyone around us, to actually see them, to give them a friendly face and let them know that we care about them, even if we don't know their name yet. That we must show love to everyone we meet, even when we're at the stoplight and someone is landing on the horn and waving at us with less than five fingers. Our response is an example. We must invite people to be a part of our fellowship, a part of our family. We must live lives that are inherently Christian lives. Thinking about the one that we follow, the lives of service. And at night when he gathered his disciples together, he washed their feet. This example I've set for you that you would love one another as I have loved you. Then he broke the bread, lifted the cup. This is the meal of the covenant, the meal of the kingdom that I have set out for you and for the world for the forgiveness of your sins. See, my brothers and sisters, that's the one that we serve. And so when we set the example of our lives where we serve and love others, where we are willing to live our lives to sacrifice and to lift others up, then we're setting an example for the world to follow. And so that we do that by our words, our actions, our deeds, the world takes notice just like King Nebuchadnezzar saw what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. And when the world sees that there is freedom in our lives, even when we swim against the culture, by rising above it, even when we live differently, when the culture encourages people to live like Nebuchadnezzar and we live differently, the world wants to know what makes us tick. And my friends, in that moment, at that intersection of those two questions, when we're not doing what everybody else does and we're showing the evidence, that's where the gospel enters in. That's where the world realizes that we follow the shepherd and not the herd. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.